Welcome to the Manx Theatre Podcast. Come on to the theatre! Hello and welcome back to episode 35 of the Manx Theatre Podcast with me, Neil Callan. Thank you to everyone who's listened to our previous episodes, and especially those who've been with us for the last three years, as on the 15th of May 2022, the podcast celebrated its third birthday. If you're brand new to the podcast, welcome along and thanks for joining us. In this podcast, we like to try and keep you up to date with what's going on in theatre on the Isle of Man and chat to the cast and creatives of upcoming shows to find out a little bit more about the shows and the people behind them. Coming up on this week's podcast... I chat to Toby Smith and Kim Quine from The Service Players ahead of their production of the comedy thriller Dick Barton, Special Agent. You can listen to all of our previous episodes through all the usual podcast outlets and at manxradio.com forward slash podcasts. Whilst you're there, make sure to subscribe, give us a like and rate. As mentioned in the last episode, the Manx Operatic Society were close to announcing their production team for the 2023 production of the musical comedy whodunit, Curtains. Well, now they've announced that Steve Dakin, most recently involved in the Douglas Choral Union's choir for Hunchback of Notre Dame, will be taking the reins as musical director. They've also announced that they've secured the services of professional director-choreographer Daniel Maguire, who has never worked on the Isle of Man before. Daniel brings a wealth of experience having trained at the Billy Barry Stage School in Dublin and later at the Academy of Musical Theatre in Wales. He's an experienced theatre director, choreographer and producer with a special interest in musical theatre. His theatre credits include A Slice of Saturday Night, Shout, The Mod Musical, Guys and Dolls, Sweet Charity, Friends, The Musical Parody, Stepping Out and many, many more. We'll be sure to see if we can catch up with him when he's over for blocking visits with Ops. The Actor of Man 2022 competition took place on the weekend of the 7th and 8th of May. The Saturday saw a workshop for the 13 to 9 year old to work through the short scripts and learn and develop new skills. The Sunday saw a further opportunity to workshop through the previous day's pieces and then in the afternoon the performances were judged by the panel which was made up of professional actor and former winner of Young Actor of Man, Tony Eccles, Ben Heath from the Isle of Man Arts Council and UK adjudicator Sue Doherty who also ran the workshops. The winner in the end, selected from a shortlist of 10 young actors, was 15-year-old Ori Wilson who impressed the judges with his mature and strong performance. As winner, Ori received the Young Actor of Man trophy, which he'll retain for 12 months, and a bursary to the value of £500 to be used towards a drama-related activity of his choice. As runner-up, Abigail Harrison received £100. A little news from further afield about our successful Manxies. Ben Caron, currently performing in Heather's Musical at the Other Place Theatre off London's West End, and his first cover for the lead role of Jason J.D. Dean. He's been quite regularly performing as J.D. and has been confirmed as part of the cast of the performances that were recorded in a similar style to Hamilton, which was done between the 3rd and the 9th of May, and we broadcast at a later date. Damien Neal, who's currently on tour in the UK with Les Mis, has announced that he'll be the second cover for Javert until the end of the run. Hopefully he'll get a few chances to perform the role. And following the enormous popularity of Heartstopper on Netflix, Joe Locke has announced that it's been renewed for a second and a third series, so that's bound to keep him busy for a while. It's also been announced that both Joe and Heartstopper have been nominated in several categories in the upcoming National Television Awards, with Joe being nominated in the category for The Rising Star. So make sure you get online and get a vote in. Make sure you keep up to date with what's going on between episodes by following Manx Theatre Podcast on both Facebook and Instagram and at Manx Theatre Pod on Twitter. Okay, down to business. I'm joined on the podcast today by Toby Smith and Kim Quine from The Service Players, ahead of their performances in Dick Barton, Special Agent. Toby, Kim, welcome to the Mike's Theatre Podcast. Thanks, Neil. Hello, Neil. It's great to have you along. It's been it's been a long time, actually. It has. We yeah, back in 
uh, back in 2019, early 2020, we seem to spend a lot of time together. Yes. But it's been a while. Yes, it has been a while. Oh, that was the uh, it was the Wack Festival, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. It was wonderful. I loved that play. It was great fun. It was, it was. So, you're here today to talk to us about Dick Barton. Tell me all about it. Well, what is there to say? Directed again by Alex Brindley, who always brings in some great crowds and gives us some great plays to perform at the Gaiety. A little bit different this time, though, because normally he does his sitcoms. Yeah, TV adaptations. Yeah, whereas this time it's a stage version of a radio play. Yeah, a radio adaptation for stage. Oh. So, yeah, you can basically expect a lot of innuendo and silliness, which are Toby's favourite things. Well, yes, it goes without saying. They're up there. Definitely up. Yeah, he gets to wear tux while being silly and inappropriate. And a trench coat. You know, what more does a matter? And I get to have a gun. Oh. Not a real one. We don't let him have a real one. What? Thank goodness for that. I've been missold the role. <laughs> so this this actually is, is a this is a proper script then that's that's done as as a stage play rather than because I know with some of the previous ones that, that Alex has done they've been sort of a couple of episodes that have been I don't want to say cobbled together but you know they've been put together then to 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 make an episode that that he's been able to do then with permission from the, from the original rights holders but this is a a proper stage version of the radio plays I believe it has actually been on in the Isle of Man before oh, but right. many many moons ago and I think Alex not only went but I think went possibly every night that it was on quite possibly so this, very much enjoyed it mm. so this is something that's close to alex's heart then absolutely very much a passion project i think it's one he has wanted to do for a while but hasn't quite fit and i think he's just thought it's been a while since he's done anything at the gaiety been a while since it's directed why not go for it yeah he's been talking about it um with us for a couple of years and i think there's been a little bit of resistance about it but we decided to get hold of a script and having read it through once I just thought this is absolutely hilarious and we need to have a crack at it. Yeah, I mean it's not one for the for the faint hearted. If you're easily offended, might not be the one for you. It's a little old fashioned. I was say it's a little old fashioned. Yeah, in some of its yeah. jokes. Um but that said, um we performed it um in front of some cast members the other night for the first time and they found it extremely funny. Excellent. And they weren't paid. <laughs> So you're you're actually playing Dick Barton himself, yeah? I am, yes. Um, you know, I don't want to put too many spoilers in there, but yes, part of what I'm doing is playing Dick Barton. But not for very long. <gasps> bum, bum, bum. Absolutely. The oh. tension is palpable. <laughs> <laughs> for a play called Dick Barton Special Agent, Dick Barton doesn't actually appear for very long at all. No. It's quite confusing. Yeah. Um. But it is all about, it's all about, um, you know, that whole kind of uh, spy sleuth, um, you know, taking on the Germans, taking on the Russians, but with, yes, some very silly twists. Bit of, bit of a James Bond, Chris Files. It's, it's a little bit like that. Um, yes, he's, he's not perhaps the sharpest tool in the drawer. I mean, typecasting, <laughs> typecasting there. But yeah, no, it's good fun. More tongue-in-cheek than James Bond, definitely. Right. Yes, a kind of spoof James Bond. Precisely well put, Kim. Right. So, Kim, you are assistant director. Yes. But you're also in it as well. Yeah, just to make it interesting. Just make it interesting, yeah. Yeah, no, not enough to do, clearly. Yeah. So what's your character then, Kim? My character is Daphne Fritters. She is the daughter of Sir Stan Fritters, the Minister for Rationing, who know... How much are we going to say? 
Well, I think that that I don't think you're you're revealing too much there. Okay. I think it's okay. Well, or he... telling them too much. <laughs> It is a Sunday. It's nice to see she's covered up a little yeah, bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's the man who knows the whereabouts of Britain's tea supplies. And as we all know, the British, if you're going to get in there and defeat them, the tea is the way to go. Indeed. Everyone in Britain loves tea, clearly. So um, she's very concerned that her father... And he's basically the femme fatale. Right. No. Yes, I think that's true. I think that's yeah. fine. She's, she's kind of the damsel in distress who needs to go and find a big, strong man to come and help her to save the day. And what, who else have we got in the cast? And what's, who's playing the other sort of... Well, we have the wonderful uh, Geoffrey Pugh, ah. who is uh, picking up the reins of the villain this Ooh. time. And my goodness, uh, he is doing it well. He's, he's absolutely superb. He's playing Baron Scarheart, who's a dastardly villain. Baron Scarheart. Yeah, yeah. And he's, um, I don't know if you've ever seen those um, YouTube videos where they have, uh, you know, a, a ball that rolls down a, a gutter into a bowling ball that then goes onto the floor and, uh, and knocks over some uh, dominoes. And he, he, he likes that kind of stuff. Uh, there's some, some good monologues in there um, that, yeah. that uh, are very involved. Wow. And he's really, really been very excited about having the opportunity to learn those. Yes. <laughs> we don't feel Jeff has enough lines. We might add some in between yeah. now and then. Yeah, you know. I think he might have as many lines as everybody else put together. Yes. Excellent. Um, which is, um, it's a nice bit of uh, subtle character naming as well, because there's, there's nothing like like pointing out the villain, like calling him something like Scarheart. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Although he doesn't actually have a heart. Because he was raised by wolves. True story. Okay. Interesting. I'm not quite sure why that would mean that you don't have a heart. Because I think anatomically that's probably pretty important. But, and I think wolves. I mean, I yeah, I think wolves probably have hearts. I mean, they're a pack animal. You know, they look after each other. Exactly. Perhaps we're talking about a metaphorical heart yes. here. Mm. He never learned to love. Except mm. for evil itself. She loves. Or Ephil itself. Ephil. <laughs> All will become clear. Then we also have the wonderful Lisa Smith in the main actress role as Marta Hartburn, completely showing us all up by learning all of her many, many, many lines way in advance before most of us had even read the script. Yes, it's a little bit it's a little bit of a showy offy approach, I think, really, to turn up at the first rehearsal. Knowing all of your lines, uh, it's a bit teacher's petty. It's fairly standard for Lisa, though. Although, although yeah. to be fair, this time she didn't actually write them. No. no, no, and that's always cheating a bit as well, isn't it? Oh yeah, learning the lines that you wrote. Uh, you know, it's uh... that's not what it says in the script. Uh, it was just a rewrite. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can get away with that, can't you? But, yeah, she's she is uh, as she always is, um, superb. And uh, there are a few scenes that she's. Uh, in full seductress mode, Ooh. so um, yeah, you might have to hold on to um, hold on to your seats for that bit. She is fantastic, and again, she's on the villain side and just plays it wonderfully. Really, really believable watching her already, and we're only kind of halfway through. Yeah, so she's the femme fatale. Yeah. Well, no, I think she's more. She's more kind of the. Uh, 
I, I think she's almost is e- equal bad guy to Scarheart, really. Yeah, I think she calls the shots. Yeah, I think, yeah likes... I think she's the brains, he's the brawn. Right. Well, in in the whole ethos of the play, being a little bit... Hmm, um, basically, the man thinks he's the one who's in control of it all, and really, it's the woman calling the shots. But then, as also typically happens in life, you know, she is she's a creature of her emotions. And, you know, when she falls in love... Um, you know, it all starts going a bit wrong. The 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 whole her whole raison d'être starts to crumble. Right. So is that because she comes across Dick Martin? Well, it would have to be. It would have to be somebody spectacular. Well, <laughs> poor Lisa. So the whole story of the of the of the play then it it revolves around this this stolen tea, is it? Yeah, I think tea tea. It's all about. It's a play about tea and innuendo. And innuendo. And it's not just a play, it's a play with songs. It is a play with songs. It's a play is... with many, many songs. I mean we did we did um have a have a, a recent some recent success with a play with songs because uh, Wind in the Willows, of course. Yes. Had five or six songs in it and yeah. was a really nice opportunity to try something a little bit different, to work with David Gilgallan, who's um hugely supportive and uh, brilliant. And yeah, I think we're just kind of bouncing on from that to something that is well, we were speaking about this beforehand. Seven 75% dialogue, 25% songs? Maybe. I think you're underplaying the songs. Okay. Maybe 60, 40. <gasps> so it, it is bordering on kind of old school musical theatre then in that case, really. Because like some of the old sort of Gilbert and Sullivan's and things like that would have about 10 or 12 songs within the show. And that's ballpark how many we've got. So. Yeah. And I think the songs really in this play are vital to some of the some of the comedy yeah. element they really drive him and they also really move the story along as well so there's a couple of scenes that are just a song and it just explains to you what's happening and what's going through that character's head and what they're going to do next and then it moves on so it it they're really important yeah i think you're right i think sometimes when you go to watch a a straight musical and some of the um the standards that are in there are you know perhaps that that uh, cast members kind of time to shine if you like yeah. uh, to deliver this song that they will have heard you know hundreds of times and um the songs aren't really like that and um, there's a lot as kim says it's a lot more humor in them they are um well-known standards that everybody will know the tune to yeah for example we've got you know yeah. we've got this really well-known um opera what which which opera piece of music is it kim I don't know. I'm not doing it anymore. <laughs> uh, so it's got Ness and Dormer. Oh, right. right. Yes, but we also, you know, it's it's quite a quite a broad brush approach because we also have Rule Britannia. Right. Um, so, you know, they're not really um, songs to perhaps for somebody to explore their range. They're uh-huh. more songs to kind of engage the audience, get them foot tapping rather than um, yeah, it being taken too seriously. So it's stress and trauma. Ah, hmm. marvelous. <laughs> So there's lots of lots of bits like that, really, that are well-known songs. You'll think, oh, I know this one. Oh, but not this version. Yes. <laughs> Never heard this before. <laughs> and so it's nice because I think it'll bring the audience in. They'll recognise it, but it's got a real comedy twist. Yeah, toe-tappers. Marvellous. So this is this a bit of a kind of a terribly British BBC kind of a production with it, or is it...? I think that's fair to say because, of course, this came from, I believe, uh, Listen With Mother, 
right. um, originally. So, yeah, sort of people of my parents' generation um, remember this very fondly as being something they would listen to when they were growing up. So, yes, that was them tuned into the, BB, into the BBC. And we do have the BBC announcer, who again moves the story on between start and end of most scenes, um, played by the wonderful Chris Kane. So, Marvellous. Along with some of the roles as well. There's There's quite a lot of doubling up. Of roles, tripling. Some people are some people are quadrupling up. Well, um, but, but some of them are actually people... written in that way. Yes. So it is supposed to be mm. the same character, the same person playing different characters. Yes, it is written, is in, uh, written like that. Well, I guess that's easier for a for a radio play for for one person to play three, four different characters, isn't it? They're just but adopting a, a slightly different voice and it is yes, but perhaps a little more challenging on stage. Yes, <laughs> but it'll be fine. Yeah, absolutely. Moustache, fake beard, hat. It's it's like you're you're doing costume for us, Neil. No, I'm not. Oh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm I'm busy. I'm afraid. So uh, that's disappointing. <laughs> we have the wonderful Jude Fullerton, of course, who is an, an utter utter angel. She really is, uh, and, and she's on everything at the oh moment my, as well. She just saves everybody's bacon continually, doesn't she? She's an absolute star, Ruby and she is better. not afraid to find. Even even the most risque things for you. <laughs> She's oh, been yes. doing some good sourcing. Yes, there is one slightly risque costume uh, that uh, required us re- researching and visiting some specialist websites. Um, <laughs> and Jude to... was a trooper. She was an absolute trooper. It turned out the cast member who's going to have to wear that outfit actually probably already had all that stuff at home anyway. Just Jeff uh, we're talking about, yeah? It's not actually no. Jeff. No, it's not actually, Jeff, It's right. actually somebody um, who works at Manx Radio. Not me. Don't look at me. <laughs> it's just the way that Kim suddenly raised her eyebrows. Though, hello. <laughs> Sorry. No. Oh, is it Alex? It is unfortunately not Alex. Oh. <laughs> Don't keep going through them. Yeah, we'll get there because there aren't that many. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, you two guys. I mean, you've you've been involved for, for quite a long time. You two. How did you both get started in theatre in general? Um, I started age two and a half in dance shows and went on from there. Just loved musicals growing up. So I would be found every school holiday at my grandparents' house in France watching either Mary Poppins or The Sound of Music on repeat for five weeks. My daughter went through that phase as well. Five mm-hmm. weeks is, is, is a long time, isn't it? Yeah. It is. I but mean, that felt like a long time. Yeah. For Ste- everyone else, it definitely yeah. felt like a long yeah. time. Step in Time was, was Amber's favourite song at the time, and we always had to go straight to that. Fortunately, we had a recorder on Sky Plus, and I knew that 108 minutes was the start of the intro to Step in Time. So. Did you ever get it a bit wrong, you know, just so you didn't have to listen to that immediately? Maybe it's 105. <laughs> just switch it on and leave the room. That's the <laughs> easiest way. <laughs> yes. So was that was that before you moved to the island then? Yeah, long, long before. So I've been here five and a bit years now. Right. Um, so before then, I'd not really done much since high school. I'd kind of moved around, gone to university, got a job, you know, done all the all the getting married and yeah. having kids thing. Um, and then when we moved back here, I um, just I felt it was a good opportunity to think about what it was I wanted to do in life. What I used to do for work and everything in the UK was completely different to what I could do here. So I just saw it as an opportunity to kind of sit back and think, actually, what do I want to be doing here? So I'm not just, you know, mum to these children and that's how people know me. What do I want to do? And so um, I spoke with Beth Espy and got involved with the service players, just went along to a dad's army rehearsal back then we were doing that. And 
that was that. I just thought there was somewhere where people knew me as Kim, not someone's mum. Toby, how about yourself? Uh, well, I did the usual um, of, um, you know, all the school plays through primary school and enjoying and loving all of that. And then that was a time for me where singing was extremely important and um, I used to, as a, a young treble, compete in the guild a lot. And that kind of springboarded me when I went to secondary school into catching the eye of um, Mike Hoy. Uh, and he very quickly involved me in some of the senior productions that they did at the school. But you were also, at King Bills, weren't you? That's right, yeah. yeah. So um, so I went from there straight into the um, the chapel choir, mm-hmm. uh, and then from there, you know, when when you can sing and plausibly move around a stage, <laughs> you uh, you get picked up for bits and pieces. So, um, so he picked me up for a few of the senior plays and then um, junior plays within school, and then I was very fortunate to uh, be introduced to Dottie Lowie, um, who um, involved me in some of the productions that she did when I was a teenager. So so that up to kind of university age. And then at university, I joined a, a band and had sort of three years of doing that. And then when I came back to the island af- after I graduated, I then was involved in another band, a party mm-hmm. band, for about 10 years. And that wasn't that all in... All the people that you worked with. That's right. Yeah, it was a bunch of accountants. It was a really, a really, really exciting bunch of people. Uh, <laughs> no, we were, we were had such a laugh doing that. It was such a ball, and we used to get to do black tie do's and uh, weddings and get paid to do play a gig. Just you know, it's just unheard of to just turn up with a bunch of mates and and play twenty songs and yeah. go and go and sing twice a week in a in a sports hall or, or whatever it was to practice. I absolutely loved it. Um, and then children came along, and so I kind of knocked that on the head, really. Uh, and I had a kind of couple of years of focusing on just uh, um, raising two babies. And then, uh, and then again, Mike Hoy opportunity came knocking. I, I met Mike Hoy at one of the um, outdoor Shakespeare's, and he said, "Oh, you back on the Isle of Man?" I said, "Well, yes, I, I have been back for about fourteen years, <laughs> <laughs> just a little while." Uh, and he said, "Oh, I've got uh, something that I think you might be interested in." And yes, straight into the service players for Arcadia, and yeah, I've had the the good fortune to do plays with them, some plays with them, uh, with Elisa and Chrissy, and with Dave Dawson, and a few little radio bits with Alex Duncan. And yeah, it's been a re- just a really nice thing to get back into, and I think it's reminded me that um, I actually always did prefer the. The drama over the singing. I think the singing yeah. is 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 perhaps a little bit less nerve wracking for me. Yeah, but um, but no, drama is far more interesting to me these days. And you were most recently in Much Ado About Nothing as well, weren't you? I was indeed another David Dawson production, which was absolutely wonderful production, um, where they kind of pulled together people from all different kind of strands mm. of uh, uh, Manx theatre and different backgrounds and. It was a really amazing experience. Um, got to work with some people who I've, you know, seen before, admired from afar, and uh, yeah, just very fortunate to be allowed to be part of that, which um, was brilliant, fantastic. I must say that coming to the island, that was one of the things because I didn't really know anything about the Isle of Man before yeah. I moved here. But one of the things that people always told me was that the quality of um, amateur dramatics and musicals that put on on the island was fantastic and I went in thinking okay I'm sure it's fine and actually was have been from the start completely blown away yeah the quality over here is absolutely exceptional agreed yeah I mean we, we are very fortunate for, for the the facilities that we have and the number of groups that we have as well yeah. there are so many different groups doing so many different things and I'm you know, I, I'm really glad that Prados have set up to do to do Shakespeare as well because that's that's 
an itch I've been wanting to scratch for a very long time, but there's never been an opportunity to be able to do that. But but now there is. Yeah, and I think they are planning to do um, another Shakespeare next year as well. So. I think it's two gentlemen of their own. I think, isn't it? I, I think, think you might be right. They've already published that, so that's good. Good to see. So we'll we'll see what happens this time next year. But that would be great. It was something as a committee of the service players we'd been talking about. There hasn't been a Shakespeare for yeah. a while, so it is really nice to see. Yeah, because the, the last Shakespeare that had been done by an on island company that I was aware of was uh, A Winter's Tale, which was an all island play. And that was like 20 years 2000, ago. 2001, something yeah, like that. Yeah, so yeah. that was a very long time ago. And um, they had the touring company, didn't they? They used to come to Peel Castle yes. and, and do them there. And uh, I don't know if you ever had the opportunity to go and see it, but um, they did a production of uh, Henry the Baskervilles within yes. Peel Castle. And we've talked again for a long time about trying to do something like that using mm. different venues. Um, certainly in the one act, you know, the one act festival is usually either in Castletown or Port Erin, but... Um, you know, in the run up to that, we were fortunate enough to do uh, to, to do the play at um, in Mackles, and mm. you know, as the service players do try to get around other other venues in the Isle of Man and take it on tour a little. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, it comes with its own challenges. That yes, it's, it's uh, but it's a lot of fun. I mean, you you know yourself, um, we we performed yes. at Mackle together, didn't we? And, it's not uh, a very big stage, is it? No, it's not no. enormous. Not once you've got this big sofa. On. <laughs> yes, and it's high up. <laughs> yeah, it's really high. Yeah. yeah, and then you're trying to get changed quickly in the kitchen. Yes, there's, uh, but but it, I mean, what a phenomenal group of people! Oh you yeah, know, they they turn out in their droves. Yeah. Um, they do amazing cakes, and, and they appreciate the fact that you're coming to to, to do it for them. So yeah, they're so supportive. I, I actually brilliant. really love going up to Mackle to do the pre yeah. the yeah. pre one act. Absolutely, Come and then on. last last year as well. Then or or earlier this year rather, you were both. No, it was it was last year, wasn't it? Back end of last year, you did had a bit of a, a little mini tour of the the Christmas little plays that you had, and was that Port St Mary as well? You did that, yeah. So we'd usually do two plays a year. We'd do one about uh, the end of um, June and early July, and then we do one sort of October November time. And this we decided um, was an opportunity to do some Christmas plays because it's just something that we haven't done. And as you said, yeah. we toured Port Erin, Port St Mary, and Mackle. Mackle. So. I was on a short maternity leave from the service players at the time but got dragged in again <laughs> somehow capable people you see yes and then one of those then was done again in, in the one act festival wasn't it yeah and we did uh, did really well there lisa got uh, best actress and we got some good nominations and yeah no it was a good it was a really and and again the one act thing is a thing that we um, are very keen to support. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great little competition, and it is. It's a shame there's not quite as many people coming to watch it as. It is a shame, um, and it's it's kind of unique in the challenge that it presents because even when we're doing something like um, Dick Barton, you know, you've got uh, four production, four shows, three shows. Um, you know, you've got lots of time in technical. You've got lots of time in the theatre. Mm-hmm. Lots of time to get things right. You know, one act. It's one crack of the whip. Yeah, um, you have you know forty five minutes tech time and and no time to produce, to actually practice it in the space. Yeah, and then away you go. You know that's that's a really big challenge, especially I always find that particularly a big challenge when we're doing something that Lisa has written. Yes, because um, I always think, oh gosh, you know, not only are we only going to get one crack at this, but you know, this is something that Lisa's written. We've got to try really hard to make sure that we get this right on the night yes. because there's no, um, there's no, no second, second chance. chance yeah. so, and um, obviously getting the feedback from the adjudicator. So you mm. really don't want to be messing that up. No, absolutely. No. And, and um, you know, all that stuff that, you know, in, a, in a, a production like Dick, you know, you've got the opportunity to say, right, you know, where are the laughs going to be in this and how the audience going to react. And, you know, you have the opportunity during a run to yes. be able to modify your performance slightly. 
there's none of that in the one act. You just no. in at the deep end yeah. and away you go. And I guess also people coming to see a play at the Gaiety, you know, nine times out of ten have got an idea of what they're going to. They're already a fan of it. Yeah. Or they know of it. They know what they're expecting. Whereas at the one act you go and you could have any three plays oh, yeah. on one night. It could be about anything, something you're really not into. So, yeah, not knowing if the audience are actually... You're to listening to the Manx Theatre Podcast yeah. with you know, Neil Kelly. absolutely hate it, but, you know, they don't know what they're going to eat. But they never do. I guess there's probably shows that have had varying budgets over the years then. And and, and I know something that's, that's something that the service players don't have a great, huge amount of money with their productions, but uh, so costumes sometimes have been of a, of a varying degree <laughs> sometimes supplied by yourself know, i don't know what you're trying to say Daniel. what i'm getting trying to get around to is i'm sure you've worn lots of different costumes over the years oh i see so what would you say would I be see. the the best costumes that you've worn and possibly the worst costumes that you've worn okay um best costumes probably that one act i just got to wear four nice dresses oh yes it was great just just change between good dresses so you know that's always always a plus Worst was doing dancing shows, and over the years I got to be Tinky Winky the Teletubby. Not even the good one. Ah. The worst Teletubby, let's be honest. You got a handbag, though. Um, a gargoyle in a Hunchback of Notre Dame style thing. And I was the Sugar Plum Fairy, so that was quite nice when I was about five. Hmm. <laughs> oh, and a dancing bear. Oh, right. A bear costume. Mm. Full bear costume with a tutu. Lovely. I know, right? M- more bears should have tutus, I think. We can arrange this for the next play for you, Toby. Okay, thank you. Okay. Yeah. Toby, what are you then? What costumes? I think uh, my favourite costume would probably be uh, my Prince John uh, costume in Marion. Yeah. Uh, and um, I would have to admit that my crown, which was um, beautifully made for me by Jude, resides in my dressing room at home. <laughs> Sounds awfully posh, isn't it, in his dressing room? Do you just oh, get up you in have the morning? A don't you have a dressing room? Just get up in the morning, put it on. Well, I sleep, in in it. I sleep in it mostly, but yes. Give uh, yourself a little pep talk for the day. Absolutely. <laughs> Eat his Rice Krispies. Yeah. And my worst was a, a, a Dottie Lowie production that we did um, at the Aaron Arts Centre that was a kind of a, a combination of songs and, and and bits of narrative about the seasons. And I had to sing a song which uh, I, I could still hear in my head. I'm still uh, <laughs> deeply affected by it. And I was dressed as some kind of huge lobster. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was lots of sort of, um, uh, sort of shiny materials. Um, uh, thank you, Kim. Are there photos? Um I think all photos were destroyed Such a shame. Um, just because some people had reportedly gone blind. <laughs> this, so. this, is the, this is probably the, the best thing about our generation, having done all these stupid things before Facebook was around. Mm. Oh, it's, it's an absolute joy, isn't it? Absolute joy. And I will make sure that when Morgan and Charlotte uh, have those costumes, uh, uh, they'll be recorded uh, for perpetuity. Well documented. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, so um, what would you say would be the favourite role that you've played over the years then? Um, I remember one summer doing kind of a two-week summer school thing where in the UK where you cram it all in and then perform to the parents at the end of the week. And it's obviously a very good show. Yeah. Very, very good. 
um, so I'd have been about 12, 13, and mm-hmm. I got to play Grace Farrell in Annie. Ooh. <gasps> Loved it. Yeah. Loved it. Again, a very pretty dress. It's nice. <laughs> Seems to be a lot about the dresses for you, Kim. There's, there's a common theme, isn't there? <laughs> I get pretty dresses in this one as well. Yeah. I'm doing well. Yeah. Marvellous. Toby, uh, when I was 18 in my final year of secondary school, um, we did Greece. Uh-huh. Uh, and I had the opportunity to play Danny Zuko. No way. Uh, yeah, so I got to. Um, I seem to remember um, most of the interest in uh, in the play was people after the show wondering if the sideburns were real or not. Uh, I seem to remember quite a lot of people pulling away at my sideburns and saying, "Are they real?" And they were. So that was not particularly pleasant. Um, but I think as a young man. The opportunity to play Danny Zuko in Greece is uh, is one that you perhaps shouldn't pass up. So, and to actually be the fun. correct age to play Danny Zuko, I as know. Well. Yeah, weirdly, yes. Yeah. So the the lady who played Rizzo was, I think, seventeen at the time of the production, which is obviously fifty percent of the correct age to play that role. Unlike the actual Betty Rizzo from the film, who was thirty two. Exactly. <laughs> exactly my point. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's my favourite role, but I think at the time, yeah. for me, it was... Um, the pinnacle. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I, I find these days those uh, those kind of lead roles, uh, they're not perhaps quite as interesting as as some of the more character-based roles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is where I would generally prefer to learn less lines. And <laughs> and uh, and yeah, roll roll my roll my sleeves up and um and and get stuck into. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's something I said for you. I mean I've I've never been the kind of person that's been a romantic lead. I've always been the the character parts, and I've always preferred them because there's much more they're much more interesting. They're a bit more. You're going more to have to them. more fun, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. There's always a bit more there to to get your teeth into and Absolutely. and play around with. Yeah. So much more fun. Yeah. Okay, here's a question then. This is one of one of our favourites, but it's one of the ones that sometimes is, is quite an easy one, sometimes can be quite a difficult one. Certainly more so for the for the gents. This gents seem to have a bit more, more, more problem with this one, but I'm I'm interested to see which way this one's gonna go with you, Toby. This is our gender swap question. If you could play a part of the opposite gender, what would it be? That is very difficult, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think you're going to have to ask him that one and come back to me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, quite often, you know, I mean, I guess historically there have been so many more big male lead roles that it's far easier for the for the ladies to pick a big lead role. But I think, although with the more modern things these days, there's a lot more big female lead roles and, and, and roles that are, are women that, that, that lead a show or are, are a largely female cast. I mean, like you look at the likes of Six and things like that, and you've got Wicked and other... They've got lots of strong female leads in there now, so maybe I'll give you a few hints. And The Waitress. Yeah, I think if I was to play a female role, it would have to be a very character-driven role again. It would have to be uh, something quite juicy. Preferably somebody really evil. Mm. Um, So maybe Marta Hartburn. Mm, Right. From Dick Barton. From, from Dick Barton, yeah. Or like a Velma Kelly from Chicago. Ooh. Do you know, there are certain plays that I like. That's not <laughs> And there are them. other plays that I don't like. And I don't like, I, it's controversial, but I don't like, um, I don't like Chicago. I don't like Les Miserables. Can I say that? Can I say <gasps> that on here? Uh, I don't like Wicked. Ooh. And I have, I, you know, I've tr- I promise you, I have tried really hard, but no, I don't like any of those. See, I'm like that. So, I mean, there are there are some some that I mean, I know people that 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 love some of these these shows, and, and there are the stuff that I really just cannot stand. And 
Neil King would, would probably hate me for saying this, but Annie is a show that I just despise. It's not one of my favourites. No. If it was the last show going, I would maybe, but it's no, it's not for me. <laughs> but, it's gonna have a strong, it's gonna have a yeah. strong narrative, I think, doesn't it? Yeah. For me, it's gonna have a strong narrative, and uh, and I, I prefer plays that are perhaps a bit more uplifting, uh, and not about teen angst. So, so Wicked's out for me. Mm-hmm. Les Mis is just um, uh, miserable, hence the uh, the name. Uh, and uh, and Chicago uh, is it a play? Is it a play? Is it just uh, some songs? So I, I like I like Chicago. Chicago is one of my favorites. Sorry, but <laughs> so will the D to agree to disagree? Okay. <laughs> okay, Kim, have you have you got a role? Since Toby cannot decide. Do you know what? When I was looking at this, look what I wrote down. Danny DeVito from oh, Greece. It that. is the one. Mm. When you're growing up, it is the role. But there's no pretty dress. But you could there rock a not. quiff. You could rock a quiff. I think can, so. Can I just say Danny Zuko? Oh, yes. No, no that's a different person. <laughs> Danny Zuko. Because <laughs> I only wrote Danny. Ah, uh, you see. And then I wrote Captain Von Trapp. I would oh. like to see Danny DeVito being Danny Zuko. That that would be an interesting. Why not? I would. Pay, I would pay to see that. Well, yeah. You never know. Maybe he will listen. Maybe. Maybe this will be what inspires him. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is one of the most most irreverent podcasts. I think that we've we've done excellent in in the last three years. So excellent. Well done, Toby. You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Um. So back in 2020, just we're coming out of the end of our first lockdown, and you know, at one point we'll get to stop talking about lockdown which will be great so just as we came out of that we created a spotify playlist of what we felt would be the ultimate musical theater playlist neil king and i we both put 10 songs in ourselves to get the playlist going because no one wants to listen to a playlist with only two songs you just wanted to pick all the best songs for yourself well there is that too yeah Uh, i couldn't i couldn't just settle on one or two i had to go for 10 it made it was made more sense to me. It's your show; you make the rules. Exactly. So we picked out ten songs, and these were songs that either we've performed, they're from shows that we've been in, or something that that means means a lot to us. So we got that list set up and and running, and then every guest that we've had on the podcast since then has chosen a song of their own and added it onto the playlist. Some of the selections that we've got in there are: uh, Joe Hillard chose "Me in the Sky" from "Come From Away." Perry O'D chose "Being Alive" from "Company." Charlie Williams chose From Now On from The Greatest Showman. And Jeff Pugh chose You'll Be Back from Hamilton. So, Toby, Kim, what are your additions to the Spotify playlist and why? I feel this is a lot of pressure. Oh. Ooh. I actually don't feel like it's a lot of pressure because I have... As soon as I saw that question, I knew what my answer was going to be. But ladies first. Always ladies first. Always ladies first. Well, I'm just looking at the list. I nearly chose one from Miss Saigon. But I can see somebody did there. And then I started thinking, my I think my love of musicals came from my granddad. One of his favourites was West Side Story, so I was thinking about that. But I think the one I would have to go for that just now, I work at hospice during the week when I'm not on maternity. And you walk in and there's a man, who, amazing man who volunteers and works on reception. And he always has the Phantom of the Opera soundtrack going. And Every time I walk in and Think of Me is playing, it just brings me right back to my granddad. We played it at his funeral 10 years ago. And I just think I just, it just has all the feels for me. All the feels. All the feels. Marvellous. Excellent choice. 
So that's that's your choice then, yeah? Yes. Okay, Toby? So, I mean, I previously alluded to the fact that I perhaps don't have uh, mainstream tastes when it comes to musicals. Uh, That's really surprising for you. I know it is, isn't it? Mm. It is strange, that. Now, I absolutely adore a a musical that nobody else loves. Uh, It's it's Bubel and Schoenberg, and it's called Martin Guerre. Now, Martin Guerre um, was probably uh, a bit of an obsession for me. I was at mm-hmm. university in London and we were able to get these NUS uh, passes to get into shows at the last minute for 10 quid. And I remember it opening, I think it was late uh, 1996, maybe 90, early 1997 yeah. that it opened. And um, so off I went off into Soho to say, well, what's this all about? And I absolutely loved it. I think you're in the minority because it yeah. wasn't very successful. No, was it? it wasn't. And it was thought Thoroughly reworked. In fact, um, they uh, they took a really uh, bold step of not, of re- not only just reworking uh, the structure of the play, but new songs, uh, changing the perspective. Um, and what they actually did was they were performing the show in the evenings and the matinees, and in between they were rehearsing the new material. Oh, wow. Uh, so, uh, yeah. I, I just... I, I must have been to see that show... Ten times wow. during its short run in the West End, I absolutely loved it. Ian Glenn was the lead role, who uh, obviously has gone on to uh, have a huge Hollywood career. Um, and I remember the first time I saw him in something uh, on TV, and I thought I recognise this chap's face from somewhere. And then it just took me all the way back. He to... was in Game of Thrones as well, wasn't he? He was in Game yes. of Thrones, um, Sir Jonathan. Yes, yes, I think you're right. Yeah, Mormont. Yes, yes. Um, so uh, there's one song in particular in that which is called Working on the Land, uh, which is um, the kind of opening number from that production, which gets you... I don't know if you know the story of Martin Guerre. Uh, there was a film, Summersby, uh, made uh, in the, around the sort of same time, late 90s, uh, but it's about a, um, a guy, Martin Guerre, who is a, uh, he's off at war and really kind of takes the opportunity to move his life uh, for away from the small town that he's been brought up in, and uh, and move on with with his life away from that background. But he's uh, in the trenches, telling well, perhaps not the trenches, but he's in in the company of uh, of a guy um, Arno Arno de Teal is the guy's name, and he's telling him all about his life in his hometown. And and this guy Arno thinks, well, that's actually my idea of heaven. So he goes back to this town. Not particularly, not necessarily with the intention, but quickly he people say, "Oh, you gosh, it's good to see you, Martin. Welcome back." And that deception um, becomes woven into uh, many different strands. Uh, and obviously, there's a not uh, particularly uh, brilliant ending, um, but the music I absolutely loved. Um, I loved the production. Um, and that song kind of takes you through all of that kind of starting phase to him arriving, and uh, and being his having his identity mistaken. So, yes, as soon as you said that, that was the song I knew I was going to pick. Brilliant. I knew I I really was sure I wanted to pick that yeah. song, but I thought I'll just listen to the wholesale track again because I haven't listened to it for ten years probably. Yeah. And thought I'll listen to it all the way through, and then Lisa was. <laughs> Where have you been? Where have you been for the last hour? <laughs> I was like, I'm listening to this is amazing. <laughs> Fantastic. So let's uh, let's get back to uh, Dick Barton again. So Dick Barton, secret agent, is playing at the 
Gaiety Theatre from the... 23rd to 25th of June. It is indeed. I was looking at the wrong page. <laughs> <laughs> so the 23rd to the 25th of June. So tickets are obviously on sale now, which you can get from villagaiety.com or by ringing 600 555. Thank you very much for having us. Toby, Kim, thank you very much for joining me on the podcast. You're listening to um, the Manx We wish you all the very, podcast. very best for the show, and we'll speak to you again soon. Thank Wonderful. You. Thanks, Neil. Thank you. The Isle of Man Arts Council is currently inviting funding applications for the 2022-23 financial year. Applicants are invited to apply for grants and underwriting which support personal and artistic development, equipment, workshops, performances and events. Every year the Isle of Man Arts Council supports many individuals and organisations seeking to promote the arts within the local community. Funding encourages people to enjoy the arts, whether through attendance at or participation in events and activities. Applications should be submitted by Friday the 24th of June for consideration at an Arts Council meeting on the 8th of July. For further information, you can visit their website at iomarts.com. The All Island Theatre Company are holding open auditions on the evening of Sunday the 12th of June for Search for a Star 2022. This is a talent contest for all kinds of acts, individuals or groups aged 6 to 18. If you have any questions, you can contact the team at Company at gmail.com. Tickets are also on sale for their production of Matilda Jr. at the Balcomine Studio Theatre from the 10th to the 13th of August. Don't forget, this summer also brings us Taylor and Productions' production of 42nd Street at the Gaiety from the 6th to the 20th of August. This production will also be the first to have a live BSL sign language interpreter signing throughout the performance on Thursday the 18th of August. This is in addition to a relaxed performance structured specifically for people with learning disabilities on Tuesday the 9th of August and a caption performance on Tuesday the 16th of August. This will be the first of six Isle of Man Arts Council funded BSL interpreter performances at the Gaiety Theatre in the coming year. Later in August, Three Legs Productions bring Once to the Gaiety stage. Set on the streets of Dublin, an Irish musician and a Czech immigrant are drawn together by their shared love of music. Over the course of one fateful week, an unexpected friendship and collaboration quickly evolves into a powerful but complicated love story, underscored by emotionally charged music. Then in late September, Centre Stage Productions bring their production of Grease to the Gaiety stage. And then in Three Legs Productions are back with Moana Jr. in October. So it's shaping up to be quite a busy year. Well, with that, we bring episode 35 to a close. Thanks once again to Toby and Kim for joining me on the podcast. And we wish them and all of the service players all the very best for Dick Barton, Special Agent, which is running at the Gaiety Theatre from the 23rd to the 25th of June. If you haven't done so already, make sure to get your tickets now from villagaiety.com or by calling 600 555. Remember to like and follow our social media pages to get notifications of upcoming episodes and events. Don't forget to check out our Spotify playlist by searching for Manx Theatre Podcast, that's all one word, on Spotify. If you have any events that you'd like us to talk about or promote on a future episode, you can contact us through our social media accounts or by email to manxtheatrepodcast at gmail.com. All that remains is to say thanks the for listening and I hope you join me again next time look on behind the Manx Theatre Podcast. I've been Neil Gaffer. Good night.